Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hey everyone, thank you so much. This is Brenda. I am your host and this is the Best Practices in Human Resource podcast. Um, I am so grateful that those of you who continue to come back time and time again, episode after episode, you guys, you make my day every time I look at how many times these podcasts are played. So thank you so much. And if you have never been to this show before, welcome. Um, you're going to get a lot of really great information. Uh, we're going to pile you on with a bunch of different resources, and uh, it's going to be awesome, as always. At least I think so. <laughs> so today in the studio, we have Lola, the veteran comfort dog, who may chime in periodically, and her assistant, Champ, the lovable wonder dog. But most importantly, we are going to talk about employment law changes that are sweeping the nation. Um, we've got a special guest by the name of Dr. Stephen Renz, and he is a government contracting specialist. There's going to be a lot of really good general inf HR information coming out of this, but we're going to dabble and kind of give you guys a little insight to the government contracting side of things. Um, got some announcements and some resources as well, so it's going to be another really great show. Um, before we go forward, the information that is available through this podcast is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your employment attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue that you may be facing. And if you don't have an employment attorney, reach out to me and I may be able to refer one through you through the affiliates program with Jackson Lewis across the nation. Okay, so let's take a look and see what's going on. We've got some interesting stuff. Um, so, oddly enough, since we're talking about government contracting, um, the OFCCP has released a new technical assistance guide, or a series of them. So, if you guys are in the field of government contracting, OFCCP can be very confusing, and some of this compliance stuff can be, it can be a little wild. Um, they, so, they have now released information that can help you guys out. So, definitely check that out. I think y'all are going to wind up finding that to be pretty helpful. Uh, four states now have enacted laws which are limiting segments of the non-compete agreement. So if you are in these states and you guys have a non-compete agreement, you're going to want to get that back in front of your employment attorney and make sure that these non-competes, and I'm only specifically speaking about the HR side, I'm not talking about general business to business, but if you're in Rhode Island, Maryland, New Hampshire, and Maine, you're going to want to have that information looked at again because there are some provisions that are happening and if you recall in the last episode I was talking about, is obesity actually the next sweeping change across the nation? I wasn't exactly sure. It might be. <clears throat> We've got one state that's already kind of making some changes, but this for sure on the non-compete side apparently seems to be uh, growing some feet and growing some legs. So definitely pay attention to that. Um, over in Colorado, um, it is the first state... Um, 
or is the state that has made some decisions on first impressions around restrictive covenants or protective covenants. And that's exactly what a non-compete is that we were just talking about. So uh, non-compete, NDA, and um, confidentiality agreement. So Colorado is starting to take a look at those as well. Um, there's also some information in there, uh, Colorado's vacation policy, which now includes a forfeiture provision. So again, if you're in Colorado, you may want to take a good look at that. Also, in the state of Illinois, <clears throat> they have enacted and put some protections in place for organ donation leave. Um, and they have also, the state has also joined on the bandwagon of protecting salary history. So not only are they prohibiting people from inquiring about salary history, but now they are looking at organ donation protection as well. So. Um, interesting stuff out of Illinois. Louisiana doesn't really pop up very often, but Louisiana has now ruled that medical marijuana is available in the state. So remember what I said a little while ago that when we talk about the landscape, the changing landscape of marijuana, that it is changing. So it's already changed. It's changed twice now since um, the podcast that I had about CBD oil. It's changed twice since actually more than that since we did the marijuana episode it's changed since just in the last what three four weeks that I did uh, the other show a PR lady and HR lady walk into a bar podcast and we talked about it it's it's constantly changing so definitely something to stay up on as well up in Minnesota there have been some updates made to their wage theft law so stealing time is now a criminal offense so you're going to want to definitely check some of that out over in New Jersey got a couple of things going on um, over in New Jersey uh, they are now requiring certain employers to provide pre-tax transportation fringe benefits uh, so for those of you who uh, provide transportation fringe benefits you're going to want to take a look at the pre-tax provisions for that New Jersey also has passed provisions and jumping on again the bandwagon for banning salary history inqu inquiries and um, New Jersey has also increased employer liability for wage and hour violations as well so it's getting kind of interesting over in New Jersey um, over in New York Westchester specifically has implemented safe time leave provisions so you're going to want to check that out and Toledo, Ohio has become the second Ohio city to pass salary history ban. So we've seen salary, the ban on salary history um, starting to shape across the nation as well. So now it's getting down to the municipality level as well. And then finally, Puerto Rico has enacted a leave specifically for victims of domestic violence, sexual harassment, and assault. So um, yeah, so that is what is going on across the country. All right, folks, on today's segment, um, I got a very special guest who's a friend of mine, somebody that we've been working together here in the Virginia Beach area. He's a very small and really has a passion for helping businesses connect with others and not to mention he is a government contractor even though he wouldn't tell he wouldn't say this he's a government contractor guru <laughs> i mean literally like guru he's he impresses me <laughs> so and and so anyway so we've got dr steve renz with us today on the phone hello how are you hi brenda it's a pleasure to be here 
Oh, thank you. I'm, thank you so much for taking the time out to do this. This is awesome. I appreciate it. Sure. And when you when you said guru, I, I would I would definitely have to argue with you. I know a lot about it, but I've I know some gurus. <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, well, I've been that's doing it for right. a while. I understand it, but I do know some gurus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can call you a potty one learner. How's that? <laughs> Instead. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Steve, um, so, so Steve, can you do me a favor? Kind of let people know a little bit about your background, um, what you're currently doing, how you're working in the government contracting field, and touch a little bit on what you did before that kind of got you to where you are today. Sure. So, uh, well, going way back, I was a, I'm a former Marine, a former law enforcement professional. I left that world in about 1999. Uh, went to the dark side doing uh, some defense contract work for a few <laughs> startup companies. Um, really helped uh, three kind of startup smaller businesses. Um, really over about 15, 16 years, um, developing into multi-million dollar companies. Um, and believe me, it was a learning process. Um, I, when I first started out, I didn't know the difference between an, an RFP and RFQ and a, and a 7-Eleven. Um, so it was a long process. <laughs> learning. So, um, and I, and I sympathize a lot with, uh, you know, with firms that are starting out and trying to, trying to navigate, navigate this arena, but it really, it took me a long time to, and, and really a lot of, uh, I guess you could say aligning myself with the right people to really learn and understand mm -hmm. it, uh, stand it better. So I did that for about 15 years, took three relatively startup companies and helped them grow and, and achieve a lot of their goals through government contracting. 2013, um, I left that world to go pursue a, a, a PhD. Um, in the meantime, I jumped right back into it about two weeks after I left when uh, my wife and I, we, we run BNI here in, uh, in the Hampton Roads area. So I was dealing with a lot of small businesses and saw some opportunities for them. So I teamed up with my partner, Linda Kramer, and we've uh, been helping local small businesses uh, get into and start winning government contracts to the tune of almost $150 million over the last few years um, for companies wow. that never done this before so we're really excited about it and we're launching our our, our new company called govcon dynamics uh, next month so we're really excited to help folks get into and start winning government contracts that's awesome uh, yeah i knew that you, i knew that your number was high as far as awards go and helping your helping your students but i didn't realize it was that high now which i think is fantastic so um yeah, what's that I said we're excited about it, um, helping these local small businesses, and it it's kind of grown into the opportunity us for us to now take a take a national. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And don't worry, it's it's okay if we step up on each other. It's, it happens in the podcasting world all the time. <laughs> all right, I'm good. We'll, we'll just step over each other, be polite, and then smack each other out of the way. Just you know, Perfect. kind of like our friendship. <laughs> it works like out. <laughs> So it leads me to the next episode, which will probably be like workplace violence or something like that. And well, just to balance just to balance out the lineage, right? <laughs> All right. So <laughs> so Steve and I had started talking about and part of the reason why we wanted to have episode is that there is one common thing that we see all the time. And we're gonna talk about some some really good points here today. But there is 
there's see all the time and you know government contracting is a very complex it's it literally is its own industry now and it's very challenging because if you imagine um standing in like a you know a spotlight on the stage right and that you can consider your you know cone of compliance so to speak and when you look down on the ground you'll actually see a definitive circle that you're actually standing in well when you're in government contracting that circle gets really skinny and there's a lot more compliance and a lot less flexibility more constriction uh, because quite frankly anybody who's stealing money from the government is going to very quickly soon understand the definition of a bad day so and but there are a lot of people out there that are government contractors that we just refer to them as don't be that don't be that government contractor. That's actually what we call it. And we are in the process of working to building an HR curriculum, uh, which is currently in, it's in place, just ready to roll out, that teaches people the HR element in a government contractor in order to, you know, get them, keep, make sure that they're staying off of the axe and they're not um, putting themselves on target so or making themselves as a target so so we're going to talk about this under this overarching thing is don't be that government contractor and i'm gonna i'm gonna kick it off just on the a little on the hr front is that and steve is wholeheartedly in agreement with me on this one because we talk about it a lot mm -hmm. but don't be that government contractor that only looks as to your employees as just statistics and numbers this is true <laughs> I can hear him. I can hear him in the background already. Like, oh yeah. So because we see it happen all the time, people just think that because if the contract runs out or the business of the contract or positions are taken away, that it's you can just brush your hands and say, well, ah, hey, you know, there it's the contract, and that absolutely isn't the case. So why don't you elaborate a little bit more on that too? Sure, and it gets kind of interesting in in the government contracting realm. I always like to you know treat. You know, the folks that were working for me as, as part of the family. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's really interesting in government contracting, especially when you have union contracts. Um, those get a, get a little bit uh, a little bit more dicey. Obviously, you're dealing with uh, collective bargaining agreements and you're dealing with, uh, with, with union folk on those and non-union folk on those. So it gets a little bit more complicated, but I always like to feel as though the employees were, they were part of the team. They they're a big reason why we have the contract. Um, they're the ones that we're supporting on there. But I like to say it, it goes beyond just the employees. Um, as a business owner, um, and whether you're doing government contracting or, or anything else, as, a, as an employer and as a, as a business owner, you're not only responsible for those employees, but with that, you take on their families and you take on a lot of the baggage and things like that that go, go with it. So there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that not only in the government contracting world, but just, just as a leader in business. So right. I don't know if that kind of helps you out on that, but, um, but especially in the government contracting realm, a lot of the contractors they know, they're only employed as long as that contract is in place, at least with that company. Now, if the government you know, meets, its, uh, meets its requirements and they no longer need that contract, then okay, the, the, the contract goes away unless you... Uh, these employees can get picked up on other contracts or they find new work or things like that. But in the government contracting realm, most of the employees understand the environment that they're operating in. So mm -hmm. it's it's a little bit different than I would I would say in the in the commercial world um, where you're looking for this longevity. 
There's no guarantee of that in the government contracting realm. We hope there is, and we try to build upon that, um, but there's no guarantee, and a lot of the employees already understand that going into it. Right. And they also understand, too, is that, you know, in contracts, contracts come and go. I mean, they either have a, you know, a short period or maximum of five years, and then every company has to go in and actually make a new proposal and win the recompete. They have yes. to recompete for that particular contract. So, you know, government contracting employees, like Steve said, they, they understand, you know, the environment. But they also understand, too, is that their skills are marketable. And yeah. if they've been in the government contracting world, they know that they can pick up another government contracting or um, a GDS position, which is an actual um, government doesn't want to do or doesn't have the bandwidth to do, then they contract that out to other individuals. So it is definitely, would you say it's a lucrative business? It certainly can be, and a lot of it depends on the industry uh, that you're in. You know, mm-hmm. more on the engineering side, the technical side, um, information technologies, the, the cyber world and things like that. Um, there's definitely more, uh, I would say, there's, there's a greater advantage to the employees in, in those worlds, particularly when you start bringing in these, these hard skills mm-hmm. um, to the table. Uh, one, one thing I... I I tell people is as they're coming up on these recompetes is even if I'm the incumbent, I want to take care of these folks because a lot of times these contracts are one, we call them resume shootouts. Who has the best uh, quality quality personnel? Because a lot of times it's going to come down to that. Who has the proven mm-hmm. performance and the best people to put forth on these efforts? So what I tell, you know, employers and and business owners and all that is to make sure that you're taking care of taking care of your people um, and that you're always seeking the, the best quality people um, yeah. and if you and if you can get them for the right price so um, in these recompetes um, everybody is jockeying for the same uh, for, the, for the same talent so you've right. got to be able to, to attract those folks and then take care of them once you do have them yeah I agree so it is very important. And, and here's there's a couple of rules that Steve and I complete points to that if you're considering on becoming a government, what does that look like from a business standpoint in general? And then where HR has a, a play in the field here on this one. But, uh, you know, the, the U.S. government, if you're considering going into a government contracting um, avenue as far as diversifying your business, I highly recommend doing it. I certainly recommend you guys link up with Steve and get some one-on-one time with him and understand like where are the risks, where are the benefits. Do your SWOT analysis. Figure out if this really is something that you want to do because there's a lot to it. And But there's something to keep in mind is that the same body of government that tells you you have to follow this law is the same body of government that's going to put you in a predicament in a situation to violate it. And true. if you really are not, if you are not prepared to handle that on and, you know, really kind of want to manage that situation, this may not be the ball game for you. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so that's my big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my big one. Okay. So, so we've got about six points that we're going to talk about some, some best practices in general. And like I said, we're going to loop some in. So Steve, you want to hit the first one off? Sure. So uh, we're just 
Brent and I were talking about some different things and, and uh, some points for, you know, don't be that government contractor. And, and the first point I, I came up with was, uh, you know, don't assume that you know what the government wants or needs. Um, even if you're tracking, you know, Fed biz ops or you're looking at some of the state solicitations and some municipality solicitations are, are coming out, you're seeing some RFPs and some RFQs and some of these uh, opportunities coming down the pipe. Um, don't just assume that you know exactly what it is they're looking for. And I, and I, it's funny, I just had a, had a call from, from a gentleman this morning who was looking to get into government contracting. He said, yep, I know the government needs this. Uh, basically the service that he has to offer. I said, how did, how do you know they need that? Well, everybody needs this. <laughs> just thinking. Like that, everybody needs HR. <laughs> yes. Everybody, you know, everybody needs a brand new car, uh, at least to a, to a, car salesman's eyes. Um, so, but no, not necessarily. So you need to understand, you know, how the government procures things and what it is they're actually looking for. And this is part of the marketing process. If you have a, you know, if you have a business, you're looking at government contracting is really understanding what the government customers wants and needs are. Mm. A lot of times, mm -hmm. you know, when the solicitation comes out, there's stated wants and needs, but then there's unstated wants and needs that a lot of times don't make it into the solicitations. And one of the phrases that, that we use a lot is either know the customer or you'll have no customer. You have to get to know the customer to understand what their wants and needs are so that you can provide the best product and service at the best price to them. Um, that's what right. they're, they're looking for. So don't just assume that you know what, what the government customer is looking for. So that's what I would say is, uh, is, is rule number one on don't be that government contractor. Don't assume that you know what it is they're looking for. Correct. And the other piece of that too, so I'm going to tag in on the H side, or HR side of it. So, mm -hmm. you know, government contracts, you know, we, if so when as, as a government contractor, when they're putting out bids and, they're, and they're coming from a place of expertise, right? So yeah. if you have a government contract, let's say, for example, you take on a contract that has a request uh, or has as part of the uh, statement of work, which is basically a listing, a very relatively detailed high-level overview, <laughs> mm -hmm. an ambiguous this listing of the type of work that needs to be done, right? Mm -hmm. And it's written in federal language. And don't assume that you understand what exactly that is only based off of what you see on those pages. Those are conversations that you have to have because if you are putting people in place, that if you have an understanding of what this IT professional is in the public sector versus the mm -hmm. private sector, you're talking two different languages because in the public sector, the government sector, their IT needs are based around whatever the government needs. And that could be anything from, you know, just, you know, public service all the way to defense. Um, it could be science and industry. It's, you know, it could be energy, right? Mm -hmm. But every one of those sectors has its own cadence, culture, so an IT professional in the defense sector is going to look different than an IT professional in energy. You're absolutely right. And it's one of the, one of the big reasons people, uh, when you get debriefs, if, uh, let's say you lose a contract, uh, a lot of times is one of, the, one of the number one reasons, actually there's two of them, is one, you didn't understand the requirements of mm -hmm. the solicitation and how to respond properly. And the other was 
we don't think that you really understand us as an agency, as an entity. Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't align your technical proposal, your personnel. We don't think it's going to be a good fit with our culture. So mm -hmm. understanding that from a human resources side is putting the right people in the right place. It's kind of interesting. Navy likes to deal with Navy people. Marines yep. like to deal with Marines. And when you start looking at Department of Justice and Department of Homeland Security, they like to have people that really understand them um, and get where they're coming from. They understand their pain points and the problems and the issues that they're dealing with, and they can probably put the right person in the right place. So from an HR perspective, that goes goes along with it. Don't just think, oh, I've got a great guy who used to work for the for the Navy uh, doing you know IT for, for them, and I'm just going to put him in, in the on a contract for Department of Homeland Security. Even though it's all IT related and it looks the same and smells the same, it's not necessarily the same. Right. Absolutely. So, and then, you know, the other piece of it too is that there's a certain relationship. So if you are, so you have a primary uh, contractor and you have a subcontractor. And if you're just getting started out, more than likely you're going to be a subcontractor on a prime contract. And which means that you won't you you'll have a small chunk of the work that needs to be done you won't have the whole piece of it because larger companies are looking for small companies to share work and that's there's a lot of vernacular that goes into this so we're going to keep this as easy and simple to understand and hopefully we won't get too jargony uh, on the call but or on the show today but um but what happens is that there are instances where in situations where you as a business owner are, are not directly managing your employees and that's something that you need to find out. So if you hear things through the bidding process and through the RFP process about, you know, how if the, if the client's coming out telling you that, you know, it's like they didn't like how things were structured management-wise or leadership-wise, that could you have to inquire on whether or not well who was the did did my employees report to a functional leader which means that they reported to somebody else who's not employed by my company because that is a relationship that has to be continuously monitored and nurtured mm -hmm. um, and it gets really difficult because if if your employee is either not liked not performing or there's, you know, some adjustments that need to be made about who they're going to put into a position, who they're going to take out. Well, you know, that's more of a, that's a little wrangling going on. And if you don't have a good relationship with the prime and with the client, um, what you're going to find out is that your employees are going to get pushed out pretty quickly. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you can terminate them because there's no work. You may you may have to keep them employed. And if you have no money coming in to do that, that's going to be problematic. Right. And that's, uh, I work with a lot of subcontractors and this is something that needs to go into the subcontract negotiations, um, is to really understand who's responsible for who on that contract. Now, typically, mm -hmm. typically, not always, um, the prime will have the, the project manager, the contract manager working on that particular contract. And he's the liaison between, you know, the folks working on that contract and the government. The government's not going to want to go to the subcontractor. So right. you understand that the line of authority and line of communication there. Um, but if there's a problem or an issue, 
we need to have that discussion in the subcontract negotiation that if you're looking to replace one of our one of our people who's a who's a subcontractor on this, we need to have a talk because um, now it gets into work share and everything else, part of the subcontract agreement. So we want to make sure that everything is above board, that we have a clear understanding of lines of authority, lines of communication, and how we're going to handle any conflicts or issues, especially personnel related. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So don't be that contractor that doesn't do all that stuff. That's bad. Bad, <laughs> bad, bad. <laughs> so, all right, the next one. So I'm going to call this one out. And then, uh, so don't assume that the government must give you business just because. So you, you want to elaborate on that one? <laughs> sure. So, um, and I hear it a lot. You're having of, a good I, hair day. Yeah. I, I hear a lot of times, well, the, the government's going to have to give it to us because, you know, we're, we're the lowest price or we're the only ones who do this or um, they have to give it to me because we're a woman-owned business or an 8A or, or a this or a that. Um, I hear this quite often um, and they'll come up with reasons why the government has to, has to give them business. The government doesn't have to do anything. If, if you haven't been around long, the government does things differently and they don't mm -hmm. do things a lot of the, a lot of time. Yeah. Um, but I, I hear it a lot of times. Well, they have to give it to us for the lowest price. If you don't follow their process and I, and I you know, come back to, to the, to the proposal process, you, you may be the, you may be the, the lowest price. You may be the fastest, the leanest, the best, you know, whatever. But if you didn't follow their process and their procedures, they will not, and most likely will not give you that work. So you have to understand how the government procures its products and services. Don't just start submitting a bid thinking you're the greatest thing ever um, and then be surprised when you don't get it. Um, right. You have to understand the process. You have to understand the environment um, so that you can put together a winning bid or at least position yourself to win that work. So, But I hear it a lot of times, and I actually know people who've tried to you know, game the system and do things uh, not necessarily legally or ethically um, and have gotten themselves in trouble trying to skirt the system to position themselves better. So, no, the government doesn't have to give you anything. All right? You still have to follow the, the, the process and the procedures. Yep. And if you're getting into a really super specialized area, um, you know, so if you take any of the any of the military arms, for instance, right, any of the divisions of the military, and if you're looking at pursuing a contract like that, there is a strong chance that certain positions are going to require approval to hire a specific individual at a much higher level, and yes. and that that really becomes more or less like a specialized area. So if you were bidding on a contract to put custodians in and going to clean the veterans uh the va hospitals and you know are you gonna is the government going to require you to get approval on all of your custodians no that that's not it but if you're talking about you know putting getting involved in a contract that's going after a hazmat of some kind and and the contract requires that the project manager or the program manager or even a senior level technician have specific requirements, they may say as part of the, um, the proposal process that those positions require pre-approval prior to them actually starting on the contract. So that means mm. that you have to go in and, and have to present the contracting officer um, the particular candidate 
Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you have to write a. Believe it or not, you have to write a different resume other than what the uh, candidate has, the applicant has actually put in, mm-hmm. and then it takes time to get the thumbs up or the thumbs down, and that happens in the in the RFP process, and it also happens, which is request for proposal, and it also happens if you have the contract as well. So, if the government pushes back and says no, we don't want that person, mm-hmm. and that individuals. You know, if they if they've met the the met the requirements in the contract, the, there's no rhyme or reason sometimes as to why they get kicked back, and then your search starts again. So right. if you think that filling positions on a government contract is simple, you need to realign that thought process because it's all about keeping cheeks in the seat, so to speak, and um, and sometimes it's a real challenge because. You may have to get a blessing. You may not be able to put in who you think would be the best fit. It may not be up to you. You're absolutely right. And this is why it's so important to get to know your customer and what it is they're they're actually looking for so you can provide the, you know, the best product service person uh, to fill those roles. Yep. Absolutely. That was a good one. I yeah. like that one. That was good. Yeah. All right. You want to take the next one? Sure. Uh, don't think that you can do this alone, especially starting out. Um, I, and, and a lot of times people get frustrated because they're trying to go after government contracts by themselves. Brand new businesses, even those that have been in business for a long time, they've, they've done this stuff commercially. They've done it B2B or they've done it B2C. Now they're like, oh, I'm going to transition over to B2G. It's going to be simple and the government's going to give me a bunch of work. Well, it doesn't really work that way. Now, um, a lot of it, 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 and I'll, and I'll tell you the secret that, that at least I've found and probably others would too, it's succeeding government contracting. You have to develop relationships. It's relationships with the government customers you hope to do, do work with and get contracts from, but it's also developing relationships with other organizations and building these strategic alliances. Um, my dissertation was on coopetition and that's, you have to understand in government contracting your, uh, I, I call them frenemies, but your, your, uh, the folks that you're competing against today are your partners tomorrow. And right. they, most people understand this in the government contracting world. You may be competing on, on one solicitation and you're partnered up on another one at the, the exact same time. So you have to get known. And I, I kind of go back and it's, it's, it's simple marketing. You have to become visible. People have to know that you exist. They have to under, know about your products and services and things you have to offer. Then you have to build your credibility. Um, and this can be done in the government world. It can be done in, in, in the commercial world as well. But you have to establish your credibility. If you can do those two things, you can start you know, building the relationships off of these things and then you know, hopefully become profitable in that. But you got to get known. You got to build your credibility. You've got to build relationships. Um, if you're going to succeed, especially uh, starting off in the government contracting world. Yeah. And, you know, the relationships that exist between the partners. So remember I mentioned earlier that we've got, you know, prime contractors and then they will probably have subcontractors. You know, don't be that government contractor that doesn't open the lines of communication between the various departments too so for instance you know if we're going in together on a, and we're you know there's a you know group of four companies that are going in 
on a proposal, mm-hmm. then there should be a very clear line of communication available for the, so like accounting should talk to accounting. Contractors, con, the, the contract specialist should talk to the contract specialist. HR people should be talking to each other's HR people. Yes. And there's and there's got to be some open communication on that. And you know those individuals that are actually having those communication, those, those conversations, should understand that you know it's about pulling together and coming into a common middle to yes. where you can have conversations about how is this going to go, what is our process, what do you guys need, here's what we need. If we're the prime, here's our expectations, and and let them go do what they have to do because that's what they do. They specialize in those things. So right. if you're trying to be too centralized at the top and try and lead, you know, efforts, everything, you know, at a single command, like mechanism or, mm-hmm. or you know, in, as an individual, it's going to fail because there's just way too many things going on to do something like that. And you need those people because I promise you, if there's a problem with a sub with an employee that's a sub the prime's going to hear about it if yes. the if the prime's going to you know get called out on one of their employees guarantee they're going to hear about it but here's the thing the government doesn't care <laughs> they no, just no. don't care nope. if they don't like somebody on a contract they're going to 86 them very quickly and the best and easiest way for them to do this and to get rid of somebody is quite frankly is just not permit them back in the building and now you're stuck yes i Seen that happen. <laughs> I have too. Now it's story time. So what was one of your favorite situations on something like that? Well, on the on the building relationships, I've I've had folks that I've worked with that were I would say they were bad subs. Um, they were very guarded. They didn't want to give forth a lot of information. They always saw everyone else as the enemy. Um, mm-hmm. So it was very hard to build a relationship when you, when you started off that way where everyone is the enemy and we're not going to share any information. And it went back and forth with more, more paperwork than anything and trying to establish a relationship. It's like trying to date somebody and they start throwing NDAs at you and you know, all these, uh, non, non, uh, non competes and all these other things to, to try and lock everybody up. And it's, you can't build mm-hmm. a relationship off of that. So, um, and it got to the point where some people were like, we will never do business with this person ever again. It's too difficult yeah. to develop a relationship. So um, understand that it's, it is a little bit different, especially when you're working with your competitors technically, but that's the way the game is played. And everybody, as long mm-hmm. as everybody plays nice and they're respectful of each other, um, everyone can profit in this, in this game. And everybody brings something very unique to the table that's when you can really, right. we all kind of do the same, same things. We kind of understand that, but each one of us brings a unique aspect to the table. And when you come at it from the aspect of the customer, we are going to put together the best team for the government customer. When you can put the government first and put your clients and customers first, you can really put together something special. Um, and that's yep. what you have to get around that. It's not just us. We are looking for, you know, our customer and look out for the best, best in their best interest. Right. And basically what you're doing is you're putting, you're putting a proposal together. You're putting this offer together that really highlights your knowledge, your skills and your abilities and your people's knowledge, skills and abilities in order to deliver 
the end result which is required of the, of the government and you know when when you're i'm going to digress a little bit over to the people side here mm-hmm. you know when again don't be that contractor that if if you've got people in place that because um, i want to finish picking up what i was talking about a few minutes ago that all of a sudden you don't have those relationships where especially with your team where they can come and talk to you and bring you a problem because honestly, if you've got people reporting to a functional leader, they sometimes forget that you actually write their paycheck. Because <laughs> yeah, and they get they get into this cadence and they get into this rhythm, and it, and then all of a sudden, if you don't understand what's going on with your people, and now they're being eighty six, and the government says we don't want them around, you still own the problem, you know. And go back to my number one rule. The, you know, this is the same body of government that's tell you that you have to follow a certain law is going to be the same body of government that's put you in a position to violate it. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. Years ago, I had a client. This was one of my very first government contracting clients I ever had. And I, I didn't really understand everything. But here's what I did know. And they had a situation with a woman who was pregnant. Um, she parked in a spot that she wasn't supposed to at, of all places, the Pentagon. Well, mm-hmm. if you've ever been to the Pentagon... Um, you know, there's eyes and ears everywhere and it's all government, all government guarded. And so this is, you know, actually this was 10 years. This was the 10th year after 9-11. So they still operate in a very post 9-11 environment and, um, you know, employees have specific parking while she was pregnant and parking in the spot would have gotten her closer to the door. And so they said, you can't park here do it again and you're going to have problems. Well, she it got back to the to the company that actually has quote unquote owns the employee so to speak. It is their W2 employee. And they talked to her and she goes, "Look, I need to, I need to park closer. I'm at the, you know, end of my pregnancy, my feet are swelling." You know, she's starting to explain to them some of the physical limitations. Well, they didn't do anything about it right away. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem right there. That's a big problem from a number of different angles. Well, she got angry felt like she was being disrespective so she did it again well guess what happened <laughs> yeah. pentagon 86 her mm-hmm. like that because she wasn't following instructions and they don't goof around nope. and so they called me up they suspended her and told her you know well we don't have any work for you so we're not going to be able to employ you anymore but they put her on suspension because they wanted to talk to me about it and I'm like, well, first off, I'm glad you put him on suspension, but I'm like, now I'm going to have convulsions and nightmares that you told her that you can't employ her anymore because this is a situation where you didn't address her needs. She came to you with a need in advance mm-hmm. and of her actually doing something that got her kicked out of the, of the property. So you didn't address it, and that's on you. And she's protected be, by being pregnant under American with Disabilities Act. And by the way, if you guys are listening to this, never tell a woman that she's disabled when she's pregnant. I promise you, you will have a horrible, horrible day. (laughs) But they are, (laughs) you know, can you imagine somebody, I've seen this, tells a first-time mother, it's like, well, you're disabled. (laughs) Sorry to God, she almost cleaned his clock. But, Uh, yeah. I've seen people say all kinds of things that they should never say. I know, right? So don't like don't I, be that person either. <laughs> I, I've probably been that person at one point or another. 
I know I have. But <laughs> <laughs> so in this situation, she's protected under American with Disabilities Act, and it, the government wouldn't let her back into the Pentagon, and and they said no, she violated. She's out. She's done. There's no second chance. She probably would never be able to get a job back in the Pentagon again because she did what she did, right. and and they're very sensitive to security. So. Does that mean he can fire them? Can he fire the employee? Can the government official fire the employee? No. No, no the contractor. Should they fire the employee? Could they fire the employee? No, they should go find her some, some work elsewhere. There you go. That is <laughs> the, the $25,000 answer. You are correct, sir. Because yeah. here's the reason why. She came to them with a problem. They didn't address it. And she lost, she's now lost work. But that doesn't, she's protected under ADA. You can't terminate for somebody who's coming to you asking you for an accommodation just because the contract is no longer available to that person. Mm -hmm. So now they have, you're right, they have to go find her work elsewhere. Now, when you're working at the Pentagon, you're not making $30,000 a year in <laughs> D.C. She's a, she's a, she would have been a highly compensated employee probably at that time if not in the $90,000 range, into the 100 some odd thousand dollar range for doing what she did. Mm -hmm. So not like you can give her clerical work and pay her $15 an hour either. Right. So just because the government puts you in a position, it, it doesn't mean that you don't own that employee relationship. So that's my biggest don't be that government contractor because I swear you are going to, you are going to feel it partially. Yes. And you, it puts you in a rock and a hard place. And I've had, you know, government officials, you know, it wasn't dealing with any of ours, but it was dealing with one of our subcontractors' employees that they basically banned him from the facility. So I had to go to the to the subcon our subcontractor and tell him, hey, that person is no longer allowed here. I need somebody else. And they yeah. ran into issues yeah. of trying to find a replacement and things like that. And they. We're looking at terminating this person, so it caused a lot of problems. It's the government is not firing that person. They are just telling you that person is not allowed in on their facility any longer. That's up to you as the contractor or the subcontractor to handle it at that point. So Correct. you have to be very cautious um, in how you approach those situations. You were contracted to do something for the government, and they. You're there to solve problems, not create them. So if a problem's created, created the solution has to be uh, has to be there very quickly because that's what they're expecting, and that's what they yep. have, are paying you to do. Yeah, absolutely. Here's another good one for you. I got another war story for you here. So a little HR field war story. So I had a client that was doing a contract work with the Army overseas, and um, the person that they had sent over. Uh, was not the program manager, but was, again, high-level specialist um, working mm -hmm. with crypto, which is, a, you know, a cryptic language that's used in communications. Right. Well, when you work with crypto, you tend to have a higher-level security clearance. Um, and this guy that they sent overseas, which they pay for, and mm -hmm. even though a lot of it's already built into the contract, uh, that's part of the proposal, but... Uh, you're exhausting government money regardless. So they went ahead and sent him over there. This guy decides that he's going to take pictures of confidential uh, documentation, documents that is um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Not protected. It's classified. Classified. Thank you. Classified. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes pictures of the classified documents, leaves classified documents unsecured in a desk with no lock where anybody <laughs> can get them. And he transmits classified information over a cellular phone number. I think I know politicians who've done this. <laughs> We're not going there. <laughs> We're not going there. <laughs> so, but you're right. Anyway, um, and there's multiple people that have done this over the years. But, you know, as soon as they found out about it, all of a sudden, you know, look, the Army shut it down. They shut sure. him down. They removed his access. He couldn't mm-hmm. get on property, couldn't get on post. It, it required investigation, which probably means that they're bringing in the CIA or, you know, whatever arm of investigating things happen in the army. I mean, I know what it is in the Navy, but I don't know what it is in the army, but, um, you know, it gets really super messy. And then that individual gets reported into whatever system that manages the clearance. So, you know, you're talking about, you're talking about the defense of our nation. And so, yeah, if you're not laying out the right expectations for your people, and you don't have those relationships with your client and with your subs when you run into because I, I promise you this is one of those situations and, and you probably will agree with me and tell me if you don't it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when you have an employee issue yes and, absolutely. yeah yeah <laughs> and if you don't if you don't have these things in line ultimately what's going to happen is you're going to have zero control and zero influence over the situation mm-hmm. it's um and this is where you're dealing with people. People bring problems. People bring issues. They bring strengths. They bring weaknesses. They bring all these things. You are going to have problems and issues, and this is why it's so important to have protocols in place, processes in place, and things like that, and try to anticipate things before they end up happening. Um, what you don't want to do is be, be caught off guard and then trying to backpedal and trying to figure out how you're going to deal with the situation. You should try to try to be a step or two ahead of uh, ahead of this. If yeah. it's not if it's not handled professionally, it's it looks amateurish, and the government will see that. So we want to try to avoid that and handle any any problem or issue uh, quickly and effectively. And this is why you you contact people like Brenda, who can help you out when <laughs> things like this happen, or especially contact her before things like this happen and help yes. set things up in place. Yes, exactly. Which kind of leads us to your next point that we talked about. Would you like to share that one along? Sure. I'm trying to think of where we're at here. Oh, don't think that you know everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, hate to, I hate to burst anybody's bubble, but uh, but but you probably don't. And it's kind of interesting when you're when you're working with entrepreneurs and things like that. And a lot of them are, you know, they're subject matter experts. And especially when you deal with small businesses, um, they're the people that. They've built their business doing what they're doing, and they're very good at what they do. You know, if you're a if you're a if you're a government contractor, you're a plumber, you're an electrician, you're an IT guy, or you're a IT girl, or whatever, you're probably very good at that, and you know that very well. But there's a lot of things that you don't know. Um, so what I tell people is you've got to focus on learning, especially when you start. If you don't stay up to speed with things, you're going to get left behind. Uh, mm-hmm. The government, in case you haven't kept up speed, they constantly change. And if you're not keeping up with these changes, you're not learning, you're going to be left behind. 
So, and it even goes down to the employees. And I, and I hear it a lot from small business owners in particular, and even large businesses is we don't really want to train them too much because then they become our competitors. And I'm like, okay, would you rather have a bunch of idiots working for you? Or would you (laughs) like to have, uh, you know, some of the best and brightest working for you? You have to invest in your people. Um, You have to invest in yourself to learn this better. And even things that you don't know, um, whether it's government contract, whether it's pricing, whether it's HR, whether it's accounting, whether it's uh, legal aspects and things like that, anything that can help you out with your business, that can help your, your, your personnel out, especially on the human resources side, and really understanding the environment and learning as much as you possibly can so that you can be more successful and more profitable. Yeah, and it takes time. It does. See, that's the thing. It it takes a long time because there's other than this really great company, you know, GovCon Dynamics. There's there's not a lot out there that actually teaches you how to be a government contractor. Um, okay. And you know what? In in on the HR front, laws are changing all the time. Case law changes all the time. Mm-hmm. And and you do need to stay on top of it. And it gets complicated. It gets real complicated. And probably one of the biggest complications that is out there right now. Um, and I can actually, I'd say this is the bigger one of two. So one is that government contractors, depending upon what state you reside in, can no longer ask the question if an, if you have ever been convicted of a felony Mm -hmm. and matter of fact, and that's the whole ban the box effort. And matter of fact, you can now no longer ask whether or not they've been, you know, convicted of any crime, depending on what state you're in. Because that's not a that's not a federal unified effort that is still at the state level. Mm-hmm. So that makes you know doing background checks important because you don't want to try and put somebody up for a, a clearance if they haven't passed their background check. And a lot of companies, and here's a don't be that government contractor. They'll make the mistake of just solely using the background the the um, the background check that comes with getting a clearance right. as the mechanism to verify whether this employee. Or a candidate is, you know, do it decent or not. At that point, you've got somebody who's waiting six, seven, eight months, sometimes a year and a half to get their clearance back. Right. So, so don't do that. But the biggest one really is what's going on in the drug with marijuana. This is huge. This is absolutely huge. So, at the federal level, and we've we've had an episode about this already, but at the federal level. Marijuana is still classified on Schedule 1, which means that it is unlawful to consume at any level. And government contractors are held to a higher standard, which means that not even medical marijuana can be permitted. But the Fed, the the Drug-Free Workplace Act of 1988 doesn't address that. But they are addressing it at the state level. So here's where it gets complicated. With the, in, with the rise in an increase of veterans, for instance, we're talking government contracting, so we'll use a veteran, uh, mm-hmm. veteran uh, demographic here. A lot of people that go into government contracts are veterans because they've done the job with whatever branch of military they're at or they've got a uh, universal or translatable skill set that can work on multiple types of contract work. But they may be utilizing medical marijuana for symptoms of PTSD, TBI, right? So if that's the case, it may be permitted at the state level, but at the federal level, it's not. So if somebody is trying to apply for a job with your company and you don't send them for a drug screen and it comes back that they are using marijuana 
after they've received their clearance, uh, have been engaging in work, guess what's going to happen? They're going to lose that. You have a pregnant woman parking in the wrong spot <laughs> over at the Pentagon again, right? Same right. thing. And it mm -hmm. just and it just means more work. It's cost. It's time. It's labor. It's money. It impacts the company's bottom line. Right. So stupid mistakes. That, and if you think you understand it, stupid mistakes will get you to a big fat goose egg faster at the end of the year because you can't go back to the government and say I need more money. <laughs> right. It's not going to happen. Yeah. No, and I've and I've had, you know folks who think they know better than the government or they understand the requirements but then decide that they're they know better and that this is what they're going to do and it sets themselves up to for uh sets themselves up for failure and even though they may have had the best intentions uh in it um they really didn't understand the process or what the requirements were uh -huh. um, or at least they didn't follow them so it, you need to understand these things or at least have access to somebody like Brenda who can guide you along this path. And Steve, who can also <laughs> guide you along this path, too. It's not just you. a one pipeline here. Anything we we do tend to work together. I'm just going to send them to you. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll sit in the corner and watch knowing you. All right. So here's another good one. And this is this is a list that Steve put together. I'll, I'll go ahead and, and jump on this one. Sure. Because I really want you to explain this. Are you ready? Uh-huh. Don't start spending a lot of money on things you don't need. Yes. So, and I uh -huh. had a conversation with, with, a, with a gentleman this morning. Uh, he branched out on his own. He's with a large uh, defense contracting firm. He's starting his own. And he's trying to mirror this large organization. Um, it's it's one of the top three defense uh, defense contracting providers in the country. Um, and he's trying to mirror this. He goes, I've got to get all these people. I've got to have attorneys and I've got to have lobbyists and I've got to do this and that and, you know, accountants on, on call and all these other things. And I'm like, oh, how much work do you have right now? He goes, well, I've got a couple of commercial contracts and things like that. Um, but I need to get these things in place before I can start going after the government stuff. And I'm like, slow down, dude. You need to you know, stop putting the, you know, the cart in front of the horse. I said, mm -hmm. you need to start, you know, investing wisely. Don't start bringing on lawyers, accountants, um, a whole bunch of personnel when you can't afford them. He goes, well, that's what I what I was accustomed to there. You know, he's used to having a complete proposal shop uh, with writers and, you know, accountants and lawyers and lobbyists and all these other things. He, I said, don't try to replicate that. You're, you're not going to be able to right now. Hopefully, you know, 15, 20 years, maybe you'll be there. Um but don't start spending a lot of money on things that you don't need. As a small business, you need to operate as lean as possible. Yeah. Um, be able to keep your wrap rates low. That's going to be make you attractive. Providing good quality products and services at a good quality price um, and offering good quality customer service, that's where your focus needs to be, especially starting out. As you grow and develop and you can afford these things, then start, start acquiring those. But look at what you can outsource. A lot of your legal, your HR, your accounting, a lot of that can be outsourced until it's economically and operationally advantageous to bring it in-house. Until it hits that point, outsource that. You And I tell small business owners, especially getting the government contracting world, is you've got to play owner. You've got to yeah. look at the strategic direction of the company. Um, 
not get yourself buried down in the weeds too much or you'll never be able to rise above and really focus on developing the company. So, um, yeah, don't go wasting a lot of money on fancy offices and the, and the, and the greatest, you know, cars and things like that, that you think you need to have this image and things like that. No, focus on providing good, good quality products and services. That's, that's your first order of business. Once that's done, now let's start building, building the company. Yeah, and you only have, remember, and just to tag on what Steve's talking about, you only have a short period of time because that contract is not indefinite. It You're definitely has an expir expiration date. <laughs> yes, and you should always be looking ahead. Don't get locked into the contract that you're going after or that you currently have. You need to be looking at what's the next step and thinking strategically about the efforts that you're going to go after. Start looking at if I if I get this one, what's the next two or three I'm going to go after? How can I leverage this one to get these other ones that are coming down in six months, in a year, in 18 months, in three years from now? Right. How am I going to position myself through the contracting effort to get to this point? Um, too many, I think they, they operate under, under, under hope and desire, um, which isn't a good strategy. Um, <laughs> Typically, you're going to get let down. Hope is not a strategy. Desire is not a strategy. You really have to tie in government contracting with your overall business and marketing strategy. How are you going to take the company um, to where you want it to be? And really get focused, get specific. Look at your products and services. Look at what you have to offer and where do you best fit and where can you develop the relationships? Is it DOD? Is it Department of Homeland Security? Is it DOJ? Is it a state? Is it a local um, government entity? Who can you provide those services to best? And then really build the company off of that. Right. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, it does. And you know, the thing is, is that when you're looking at this, I mean, what we're essentially talking about is really investing smartly in your infrastructure. Yes. Um, your marketing infrastructure, your business development infrastructure, your accounting and finance infrastructure, your human resources infrastructure, your project management infrastructure. It's all around infrastructure. And if you don't have very clear objectives as to what you need to put into place to make sure that your infrastructure is sound, grounded, and has the ability to uh, continue to go up. But remember, we're talking about government contracting. You also have to identify scalability. So if you lose a contract and you don't win a recompete or they just don't even offer it again, which is doable, or you get a cease and desist letter, which means that you're, you're getting a letter from the government that you're, suddenly your contract term is up because you know they can do that too, then your business has to scale downwards as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and of course, that puts you right back into the position of trying to figure out what you're going to do with your employees and guarantee, guarantee, mark my words, that if a government contractor who is a prime and has subs on a contract, if they get that the government is taking away 35% of the workforce and going to transfer those into government positions, GS positions, mm -hmm. Primes are not going to give up their employees easily. They're going to take them, they're going to knock those positions off in the as a sub. And I had a client years ago who was a subcontractor with only one contract. Right. And 50 employees. And guess what happened? Sequestration. And yes. that's when we had to figure out how to 
reduce our government had to figure out how to reduce 1.2 trillion dollars in spending sequestration showed up the government absorbed and cut at the same time positions under that contract and they lost all of their employees under the subcontract and they had no business diversification right and it's kind of interesting it, it it's so interesting that why more people aren't going after after government contracts it's you've got a customer that is actively looking for the products and services that most small businesses offer and it it's literally anything. So you've got a customer that is looking for you, but a lot of them aren't, aren't responding to that. So it, it, it's kind of interesting um, that more people, especially the small businesses, aren't taking advantage of those opportunities. And the large businesses, any large contracts that they have, there is going to be a portion of that that has to go to small business, the government mm -hmm. requirement on them. So it's making sure that they're positioned well, that they've invested properly, that they're developing the relationships so they can start capturing some of that work. Um, yep. That's you know, kind of my passion, and I know it's your passion too, is seeing these companies grow and develop, do the right things, especially on the HR side, and investing in their people. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So we got. I think we got time for one more. And okay. what is what is your last? Uh, best don't be that contractor <laughs> recommendation uh -oh. it's uh my recommendation is don't get too comfortable um, yes don't, don't start resting on your laurels um, don't start high-fiving yourself and giving yourself pats on the back because especially in the government world things are going to change and change quickly mm -hmm. uh, we know every four years you know there's going to be an administrative change or at least four to eight years there's going to be some type of change politically um, the budgets are constantly changing. Um, there's some things that, you know, that are pretty steady um, that we can kind of see these programs playing out for a long time. But, um, but in a lot of cases, we just don't know. So some things to really look at um, from a business standpoint is start forecasting changes that are upcoming in your industry. If you're in IT, if you're in real estate, if you're in uh, engineering services, if you're in legal, if you're whatever. Start anticipating the changes that are coming coming down the pipe in your industry. If you're doing the same thing you've been doing for 10 years and you're starting to see how technology and globalization and all these things are changing, if you're not staying up to, up to speed with these things, you're going to fall by the wayside. So start looking at upcoming changes in your industry, especially if you're doing government contract. You want to be on the forefront of, of your industry. If you're still doing things that they were doing 10 years ago and the, and the industry's already passed you up, you are not going to be competitive um, in this world. So make sure you're keeping up, up to speed with those things. Um, then start looking at upcoming changes with your government customer. If, even if you have a customer right now, you need to be forecasting some changes that may be going on with them. What's mm -hmm. happening with their budget? Are they having a change in command? Is there... Um, some type of changes in personnel, in their mission, in their function. Um, we're seeing a lot of this, you know, with Department of Homeland Security and what they're currently doing now. And we're starting to see some, some contracts um, and modifications to contracts with them that are outside of the purview of things that they were doing one year ago, just because their mission has now changed and some of the things that they're spending money on and the services that, that they're requiring. So 
try to look at some of these changes and where you best fit in um, so you can provide the products and services that you want to that particular uh, government customer. And then it start looking at changes in your organization. And this is where it comes down to strategic foresight and things like that of yep. you know, what changes are going on. If we're getting ready to, you know, potentially win a contract, do we have everything in place? Is our HR uh, department, are they ready to start recruiting, vetting, screening, hiring? What's our resume database look like? Do we have these people? Can we get them? Do we have letters of intent? It's this constant... Um, uh, it's this constant wheel that's turning, um, always looking ahead to the future. If you're stagnant, you're going to fall behind. And then when you start looking at all these changes and things like that that are, that are coming down, whether it's in your industry, your customer, your organization, are you prepared for these changes? If you're not, it's going to be that much more difficult. Yep. So that's what I mean by don't, don't start getting too comfortable. So what I see happening where where people in, in government contracting get too comfortable. And this is this is the biggest spot. You know, <clears throat> small business is small. And, you know, government likes to make examples of big companies, right? They love to bring the Walmarts. They love to bring the, the Northrop Ones. They love to bring, you know, all sorts of larger come into the media by, you know, discovering that they've done something wrong, whether it's, intentional or unintentional right and and you know government contracting is no different mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people believe and this is a very big myth and correct me if I'm wrong on this one but mm-hmm. um, small businesses think that they are immune or do not have the same focus or will not be focused on if they are violating um, executive orders or any type of labor laws in government contracting because they are too small. That is completely false. Um, (laughs) They are the FAR clauses and requirements and, you know, executive orders and things like that. They are supposed to apply no matter how big, small, whether you're woman owned, veteran owned, whatever, we are all, required to be in compliance with the laws, rules, and regulations um, associated with government contracting. Um, now, it, small businesses have been, you know, they've been penalized for violating these things. It's just you don't hear about them so much in the news. Now, when a very large, you know, a, 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 a tier one defense contracting firm does it or something like they, you know, they're alleged to have cheated the government in some way, that makes big news. Yeah. Joe's Corner computer shop that had a had a you know a hundred thousand dollar contract with the government that's not going to hit hit uh, you know Fox News or MSNBC or anything like that. Um, we don't hear about those so much, but they do happen. Um, so you do have to understand the the requirements and the laws and the rules and the regulations um, that that go along with government contracting, and it's. You know, most people, they're very frightened of these, oh, my God, the FAR clauses and things like that. They're not that scary. And it's most of it is just common sense. Um, it really is. But see, people see all these clauses and, you know, oh, my God, the FAR and, you know, the FAR cops are going to come get me and things like that. It's not. Yeah. It's it, it's not that difficult. It really isn't. And it's nothing to be scared of. You need to be aware of them. So that you can provide better quality products and services and operate within within compliance, 
but it's no different than, than what you're dealing with on, on, on the state and local level uh, or even on the federal level now. Even a lot of times with your, with your commercial clients and customers, it's the same thing. So hopefully that yeah. helps. No, that did. That was perfect. So when you when you when you get when you get that comfortable, complacent feeling like, you know, I'm a small business, I'm gonna be completely off the radar, I have news for you. And we talked about it when when we were on the episode with Eli and I have this phrase that I use quite frequently is that, you know, you do become a bigger target the smaller you are. But and you know whether Eli agreed with that or not, which he, I don't believe he did, but he did agree with the mindset that the smaller the business, the biggest the imp- the bigger the impact you feel of making those mistakes because, you know, you've got big business that they don't, necess- don't necessarily have deep pockets, but they sure know where do they go when they need a deeper pocket, and yes. small businesses do not have that luxury. And if a bank feels that a company is at a risk or is a risk because they're not operating ethically or they haven't been in their particular, you know, if they're looking at government contracting as an industry and they haven't been in that industry for a while and all of a sudden they're being asked for more money because they didn't either bid enough or win enough or they've spent too much of it too quickly, uh, you know, it's it's going to get, you're going to go sideways here real quick. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. Large business can absorb um, some of these hits. A small business, a lot of, most often can't if it if it's significant. Um, so this is why you have to operate legally, operate ethically, and don't put yourself in a position um, where you where you get compromised like that. Um, yeah. And that's thing, one thing I tell you know the business owners and and people on contracts is operate legally and ethically, and the government sees that they've they've probably seen a lot of the you know, folks trying to trying to get around the system and things like that, um, and they're over it. And if they get a good good company that's doing the right things, keeping the customer in mind and at the forefront, you'll do you'll do well in government contracting. Yeah, I agree. And you know what? And these these things apply to like these points apply to just general small business overall. But it really gets tight, like we mentioned before, because you know you're dealing with the number one client in the U.S., <laughs> which is the government, and so. They get very they get very particular about how things go and and how things don't go. So, any other sound sage words of advice before we oh. shove off for the day? No, you 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 bring up the best point. Uh, you know, the government, whether you're looking at federal, state, or local, you know, collectively, it is the biggest purchaser of goods and pro- goods and services, bar none. You know, why or businesses aren't going after them as a customer? It's, it, um, it kills me, um, especially when you provide good quality products and services, add good price and good customer service. It should be something at least on your radar to consider going after. Um, and, and a lot of times they're actually easier to work with than, than you know, your typical clients or customers um, because you already know what the requirements are. And it's actually e- they're a lot of times even easier to deal with than when you're working with individuals or you're working with businesses because they're constantly changing, at least with a contract you know the requirements that you're going into. So um, nobody has the purchasing power of of the government. So Nope, not at (laughs) all. Haven't seen a credit card that big yet. (laughs) No, me either. I'd I'd love to have that, but... uh, (laughs) 
Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today to join us. This has been really great. And folks, for those of you who want to know more about becoming government contractors, and, and part of the reason why Steve and I wanted to bring this out was because people don't really fully understand what they're getting into when they start going down the road of wanting to get into the business of being a government contractor. And, you know, whether this sparks a new idea or this gives, you know, some confirmation or some information to those who are considering it, um, you know, there's a lot to this. And you really have to know what it is you're doing. And like I said, you're, you're going to learn through a lot through experience, but, you know, by utilizing really great companies like Steve's, um, like, you know, GovCon Dynamics, where you can actually learn. Eventually, you'll be able to learn online, but you can attend their courses and actually get several days of instruction on how to do what you need to do just to get off the ground. will help you out immensely. So if people wanted to find out how to contact you, how can they reach you? How can they uh, find you? Sure. Uh, info at GovCondynamics.com. There you go. That was easy. Yeah, and any HR needs, Brent, Brenda's the go-to girl. You need any advice on HR or any compliance issues, uh, I'm giving you the shameless plug also. So definitely see oh, her. Oh, that's off. awesome. She's the HR guru. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again, Steve, and I really appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Brenda. I appreciate it. Okay, so we've got some announcements. We've got some cool things coming down the pike. Um, first off, I'm going to be delivering about nine different workshops between now <laughs> and December 15th. Uh, so we've got workshops popping up in September, October, November, December. This is something new. And um, <clears throat> a lot of these workshops are going to provide at least two opportunities to attend locally. And one of those local events will off, always offer the option of attending virtually. So if you're not in the area where I'm going to be, you'll be able to go ahead and actually produce, you know, be able to jump in on a virtual level. So the first one uh, that's going to take place in September is going to be a workshop called My Employee Smokes Pot. And if you're in the Virginia, excuse me, if you're in the Chesapeake area in Virginia, this is kind of the Hampton Roads overarching area, you will be able to join and meet and do a meet and greet with U.S. Navy SEAL Jason Redman. And Jason is a pretty awesome guy. He is the owner of the Eagle Rice Speakers Bureau that I am um, one of the signed speakers with uh, that do keynote, do workshops, things like that. He's an awesome guy. Short version of Jason's story is several years ago, um, he was he took a round to the face and he has had something like 40 plus surgeries and uh, had reconstruction completely done on his face plus his nose. But Jason is an awesome guy. He's, he delivers an amazing overcome message and getting off of the X. So definitely check his information out. He's got one book out right now called The Trident. He's got another book out that's coming out soon. It'll be announced in December. It's actually, I believe it's up for pre-sale. So uh, definitely check out Jason because that's going to be an awesome event. <clears throat> the next one we're going to do is in October. We've got Hiring Talent for Employers Workshop. We also have this course available on uh, the uh, HR University sponsored uh, by Best Practices. It's not as the one that's online and available whenever you can take it. It's not nearly as fun as the live version of it because we do kind of get a little candid on it, which is great. There's going to be three opportunities for that. Again, one of them is going to be virtual. 
Uh, finally, we also have kicking off a successful new year, and that's going to take place in November. And what that basically is, is that that's going to help for those of you who have never done a year-end <clears throat> or are looking to streamline your efforts and do stuff a little better on year-end, we're going to talk about that. So when we talk about kicking off a successful new year, we're actually talking about how do you go ahead and prep yourself for a successful year-end. And again, two opportunities, one uh, being virtual as well. Um, in December, we're going to be wrapping up the year with a topic that's pretty sensitive, but it's very informative. Um, it's helping grieving employees through the holidays. So again, we're going to have two opportunities to attend live, and one of them will be virtual. So you guys can attend these and participate by registering today at bestpractices.org by clicking on the events tab, and you will see all of the events that I just listed here up and running for there. So you're going to be directed over to a website where you'll be able to register. Same thing with the virtual. You'll be able to go ahead and register for the virtual version as well. Uh, online courses as well. So <clears throat> we have a, I have a brand new segment of the website. These are courses that I write, deliver, direct, produce, put them all out there. And it's called HR University by Best Practices. And the HR University is open for business. This is a library of online courses that are designed to help bring practical and current HR knowledge to those practicing in the human resources field. So course content ranges from basic compliance to covering more complex challenges in the industry. As it sits right now, we have hiring talent for employers out, and we have American with Disabilities Act for employers. But what is coming down is one of those more above the level, and that is understanding Generation Z. Now, this is a very new topic. There's going to be a lot of movement on because <clears throat> Generation Z is now, they're entering the workforce. They're in the workforce already. But this, we still have many years to go to figure out who Generation Z is. So I'm going to share with you what I've learned so far and through my own research. But don't forget that I do offer a special that every time we release a new course, it's called the 5 for 50 special offer. So you get 50% off the first five days after the course is released. The price is already on there, and then it goes up almost one minute before midnight. <laughs> so, so the new discount expires August 18th. Take advantage of the special offer by clicking the HR University at the top of the bestpractices.org website. And then also, I want you guys, I got something for you all to tune into. So some of you know that I have a second show that I do with a, a hilarious co-host who she's phenomenal, she's smart, she's wonderful. She's also in Vegas, so you don't have to worry about both of us being in the same room together anytime soon because um, that probably will require bail money. But... Um, Chira and I uh, discussed the complexities of the most recent ICE raids and what are some of the HR best practices for businesses. So definitely go over and check that episode out. It releases on Thursday, August 15th, and inside of it is a giveaway. I'm going to be giving away two copies of one of my books, and if you go over there and you listen to the episode, you'll learn how to actually get your hands on one of those two books. So, or you'll have an opportunity to, to put in for the contest and see if you can't earn a book. Um, speaking of books, if you're probably wondering, like, well, okay, so what are they? The first one is uh, written called, Holy Cow, I Have to Complete an I-9. And what this book is designed to do is to help kind of take out some of the confusion behind this 
required form that very few people when they start a business actually know exist. Um, and a lot of people who have been doing this for a while don't always necessarily know the nuances and so it's designed to accompany the rules in the M274 plus it has some additional best practices on how to retain it, how to retain the I-9 documents, both active and those that are terminated employees, and what to do if you're at risk of being audited or what happens when you are audited. So that's the first book. Second book is called Holy Cow, I Have to Talk to My Boss, and I share four rules to building a better relationship with your boss. And if you follow these rules, you're going to eventually, as you read through the narrative on this, you'll actually see like, okay, I either know somebody who's like that, or number two, you're going to catch yourself you've done some of these things. So um, they're fun, they're easy reading, they'll, they'll get you the necessary information, go out and live it, practice it. That's really what it's designed to do. So to get access to the books, click on shop at the top of the webpage um, over at the bestpractices.work webpage and you can go ahead and just do the checkout there. So email me your HR questions. I, I love this. You guys are doing a really great job of sending in your questions. And we had Elaine DeVost on a little while ago, and she had some really good ones. Um, we did an episode a while back on what questions are, you know, like what things are your employees actually researching. And uh, tremendous response on that as well. So you guys have really great questions. Keep them coming in. And I received one, actually, um, from an individual today and I typically don't like answering the ones at the individual level but you guys need to hear this because this is one of those questions that employees research okay so you can first off submit your, submit your questions on the bestpractices.org website by clicking on the podcast link from the menu and down towards the bottom of the podcast page is a submission form for you to post your question which I may be reading and answering on an upcoming episode and what I do is I select a really good one and this is up in that, cla in that classification and category. So this is an employee that reached out and said, what do I do if my employer is making deductions to my paycheck? Well, it was a little ambiv in, in, well, ambiguous at first, but then he goes on and he says, such as writing in breaks that, that I didn't take or writing out time that was worked, even if it wasn't completely satisfied with the work. So he was deducting hours and penalizing the individual if the quality of the work wasn't there. This is a dangerous question for an employee to be asking, especially if it's true. So first off, <laughs> if you're an employer that's doing this, stop. Okay, You cannot penalize your employees by taking money out of their paycheck. That is unlawful. The Department of Labor is going to jump all down your throat if, if a person like this were to file a complaint. The EEOC will jump all down your throat for something like this, right? NLRB, they'll jump all down your throat, right? So don't, because you're going to have agencies jumping down your throat. And not to mention at the state level as well. So <laughs> employers can only make certain type of deductions. And if you don't know what those are, contact me. And I'll be happy to go over with you. Because there's a distinct difference between an hourly employee and a non-exempt non employee. Right? Excuse me. Let me say that again. An hourly non-exempt employee and a salaried exempt employee. There are certain provisions and some safe harbors that if you're making deductions, you want to make sure that you're doing this appropriately. Second off, if you're penalizing an employee, you can document their you can document their performance, you can coach them and you can guide them, but you can't deduct money that they have lawfully earned. Doing that is unlawful, 
okay you're going to get in trouble so when you have when I get this kind of question or when I see this kind of question on a website this scares the hell out of me because that's telling me that there's an employer out there who is doing this this is this is not an uncommon thing at all believe it or not this is not an uncommon question and if there's a situation to where the employee doesn't understand what you're deducting you've got an opportunity to open the door to communication and to demonstrate that what you are deducting is in fact lawful right so you deduct your taxes you can deduct for uh, the employee portion of a benefit paid benefits program those you can do paybacks so long as you have the appropriate documentation in place and then you know legal garnishments so you want to be very careful if this is you or if this, you're working in a company that's like this stop 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 you're gonna get into serious trouble and it's not gonna be good and it'll be really ugly so thank you for sending me that question uh, I really appreciate it and uh, like I said guys if you are a company that's doing this and you want some help figuring out what it is that you need to do just reach out to me I'm happy to go ahead and spend some time with you in helping solve that problem so you can follow me on a couple of different places and see everything that I've got going on and see all the shenanigans that I'm up to. Uh, Instagram and Facebook, you can follow me at Best Practices in HR. Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, you can find me at Brenda Neckbottle. And you spell my last name as N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke, V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. Again, the website is bestpractices.org. If you go there, you sign on, jump on the mailing list, and you'll get the preview <laughs> to the latest and greatest and you'll also get a free gift from me as well so really thank you so much for joining me again today um, I love doing this this is a lot of fun I'm glad you guys are getting a lot of great information out of it we're gonna have more great guests coming down the pike we're getting into benefit season so we're gonna wind up bringing in a benefit specialist she's gonna talk to us about what are some best practices around planning out your benefit strategy for the year. We're actually going to do two episodes with her. So the first one will be how to work with your insurance broker. And then the second one will be benefits renewal and planning. So, um, and then followed by that, we're going to do some Medicaid, uh, excuse me, Medicare Part D credible coverage disclosure. If you have no idea what that is, stay tuned because you're going to learn a lot about that really quick. Um, got some other couple episodes. And at some point in time, Jim is going to come back. So <clears throat> pretty, pretty excited about the next couple of months. So uh, keep tuning in. And I appreciate you guys coming back. And I will talk to you again soon. Have a good one.